It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast, and we are reaching the end of the Premier League season. Don't worry, we'll still be here over the summer giving you updates of everything that's going on in the top flight. But for now, it's all about deciding what happens at the top and bottom of the table. There is still a title race on. There is still a relegation race on and there are still a few teams vying for European places as well. Today on the podcast it's all about the games that are happening midweek they're coming thick and fast at the moment Man City in action, Leeds in action Chelsea in action Leicester City, Norwich, Everton and tonight we've got Tottenham versus Arsenal, a North London derby as well we're going to look back at all last night's games and look forward to tonight's games on today's show. In fact, one of the few teams that haven't been in action over the last couple of days is Manchester United. And it just so happens that two Manchester United fans join me on today's podcast. Joel, regular on Football Social Daily. You right, Joel? I'm all right. I'm just going to say, thank God we've not been on. It's been a breath of fresh air. <laughs> we actually saw a trophy hey, actually, yesterday no. as well. I was going to say, yeah, Manchester United winning the Youth Cup against Nottingham Forest. Was it 69,000 fans or something insane like that at Old Trafford? Yeah, it was, I mean, I think the fans were just craving to see a little bit of silverware, to be honest, which is why everyone crammed into Old Trafford yesterday. Yeah. There'll be it was more a really good victory, the though. Than there will be I, don't, I don't even think it's silverware. <laughs> Do you not? Why, is there no trophy? I, I don't even think it's silverware. It's just effort. It's just effort. Enjoyment. The other voice you hear is Dan Harris from the United Rewind, a podcast you can find all about the better days of United's history on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Search United Rewind there. And Dan, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Hi, everyone. Right, let's crack on with the games last night. There is only one place to start, and it's got to be Manchester City's 5-1 whooping of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Is that job done now, Dan, for City? Is that the title pretty much wrapped up? Uh, it's never, it isn't over until it's, until it's over. Um, as I said, like I just invented that phrase. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it seems unlikely that they won't get four points from the games that are left. They're playing really well. And they've just, they've sort of mastered league football, haven't they? And the, the amount of points that they're regularly getting... They just know what it's what it takes to beat teams who who they're worse than. What they're struggling with is beating teams that have elite level attackers. If you even even this season, they lost twice to Tottenham, and that's the thing that Tottenham have in common with, say, Real Madrid, is elite attackers. And they're, they're the way that they play isn't that cut out for dealing with that, but it is really good at winning away to Wolves, for example. I mean, Wolves are never an easy team to beat, Joel. But was it a very good City? performance last night or was it Wolves being classic on the beach probably Europe's out of reach now they're thinking of their summer holidays they've kind of switched off a bit and they just let City run riot I would actually give credit to City uh, if I take my biased hat off just because them (laughs) this this City team are pretty much normalizing winning because I think if it was any other side who were in this title race with three games to go and how nervous every team would be about just the, the slightest error which lets the other team in 
I think a lot of teams would fall short, as we saw with, for, uh, for example, that Liverpool side in 2014 with Rodgers. That looked like a sure fit to the title, and yet the pressure and the the uncertainty around those final few games seemed to get the better of them. And I just think it was a very just clinical performance from City. They just they're making games look so easy now that it's become the norm for them and to just continuously win. I think when they got their 100 points total, they won their last 15 games in a row. And that if, if they would have dropped any of those games, it would have meant that Liverpool took the league. So it's just them and Liverpool are pretty much just normalising winning in the Premier League. And it's never as easy as it seems because even now, if they win their final two games, they'll end up equalising um, Mourinho's record from... 2004 and five, I think, which has been passed about three times since then by City and Liverpool. So it's it's just, they're just very, very clinical. And I think after that Real Madrid game and the way that they lost it, I, I, I think it was just a certainty that they would go on a run like this because I think Guardiola would have been absolutely incensed at the, the way in which they went out. And this had to be done and it's been done in really clinical fashion, especially from... De Bruyne, which it just seems to be going up a level after a, a level every single season. So every everyone was talking about, you know, Paul Pogba potentially going there, but I don't think he'd even get in that side because their midfield is just absolutely relentless when it comes to having to win games. I mean, Joel talks about normalising winning, Dan. I mean, De Bruyne has normalised just excellence. Four goals for him last night in the game last against Wolves and... It wasn't just the goals that were great about his performance. His support play was ex- ex- exceptional. He he put the ball on a plate for other players that potentially didn't finish those chances, but it could have been a lot more. He just made that City team tick last night. How close was his performance to being almost 10 out of 10 perfection? I actually, uh, this is going to sound like ridiculous. Um, I didn't watch this game. I watched <laughs> Watford against Everton. Oh, great choice. <laughs> Not out of choice. <laughs> Not out of choice for work. And um, so I didn't see, I didn't see De Bruyne because I was, and I was watching that and I was watching the Youth Cup final at the same time. What I would say about City on the point that they've normalised winning, I'd say like the consistency of doing it season after season is phenomenal. But we have seen this before. I think Arsenal won, was it 13 in a row in 0102 to win the league in a three horse race? They won, they won maybe 9, 10 in a row in 98, and United did it in 2000 as well, which in a way was even harder because in some ways because they weren't under pressure, the league was finished, and they still managed to win all those games. We have seen it before, but what we haven't seen before really is the season after season returning these points tallies. And I mean, ultimately, we know why it is, because they're funded by state wealth, so they have a phenomenal amount of options. But on De Bruyne, he is, I mean, he's an, he's an amazing player. I mean, I think he's been the best player in the Premier League for quite a while now. The only reason it's been Salah perhaps for the last season or so is because De Bruyne was, was injured last season. Um, even when people were saying it was Hazard, they were wrong. It was De Bruyne. And um, what he does that he does so well is he's just, he's so effective. He's kind of like, he has, he reminds me, that's Jack, Jack Pitbrook who writes for The Athletic was saying on Twitter last night that he reminds me of Gerrard. And I can see that. Because what he's got is that deceptive power and pace as he steps onto the ball, where you're surprised that he sort of reaches it ahead of someone who's more renowned for their pace. Um, what he doesn't have that Gerard had, or hasn't done quite yet, is that ability to imprint himself on the very biggest games at the very biggest moments. That was Gerard. I mean, Gerard was a Roy the Rovers player who just made, who just bent the, who bent huge games to his will. De Bruyne, I would say, is a little bit lacking in that area. Doesn't have signature Champions League performances, but week to week, he exactly has that. And in that aspect, he actually, because I guess these days we're not allowed to understand things just as what they are. We have to understand them in the context of other things. He reminds me a bit of David Beckham. Not just the delivery of the ball, but the constant work rate and the constant threat and a player you never forget is playing, which is, you mentioned Pogba, that's the opposite of Pogba. And the reason why I couldn't imagine Pogba in this City team is that the amount of running, what they call the free eights have to do, is not something that you see Pogba do very often. Picking up on what you say about De Bruyne not having those moments where he's bent a game to his will, he's not had those Steven Gerrard moments. Why is that? Is that simply opportunity because Steven Gerrard was an exceptional player in an unexceptional team De Bruyne is an exceptional player 
in a team of exceptional players. So does he just not have the opportunity to maybe stand out to the level that Gerard does? Or is it that he just hasn't reached that level? Has he got more gears that you can find? Um, I, I don't I don't think that's right because you can you can name loads and loads of players, like all the greatest players of all time, pretty much. You've played in great teams and also have those moments. And I think the thing with De Bruyne is you might look at it the other way, actually, and say that he might be hampered by the players that he plays with, not because they're so good, but because of the things that they don't do well, in that they're not giving him as good a platform in the Champions League as a lot of other players have had. So you talked about Gerrard didn't play in a good team, and he didn't. But if you look at the Liverpool team that won the Champions League in 2005... It had a pretty. It had a defense that tended not to concede that many goals, and partly that was to do with the way that they played. But De Bruyne doesn't have that. He doesn't have that platform. I guess he got unlucky in the Champions League final last year as well, when Rudiger absolutely annihilated him and somehow didn't get a red card. So that luck will also play a part, and he does still have time. But if you were to criticize De Bruyne, or if I was to criticize De Bruyne, it would still be it would be that like what have you done in Champions League? Same thing I criticized David Silva for. Same thing I criticized Sergio Aguero for. You haven't done it at the highest level of club football. Let's talk about Wolves a little bit, Joel. I don't think even Wolves fans want us to dwell too much on their performance last night. It is feeling like their season is petering out a little bit. But there were two decent penalty shouts for Wolves in that game. Both turned down. Do you think they'll feel aggrieved about that? Not that it necessarily would have made a difference to the result or did the referee get the calls right in both those incidents? Um, not too much. I think they were pretty fair on both occasions, to be honest, but I I still don't think they would have influenced the game at all because I think if Wolves scored three, then City would have scored six. It was just felt like that kind of momentum in the game where no matter what Wolves did, they just didn't have enough for them, and maybe it's the. But to be fair, Wolves still had something to play for. If they would have got something out of that game, they would have still been in contention of potentially getting around West Ham. Although they still could if West Ham capitulate. But um, it's just with Wolves, it's it's one of the biggest things I've seen, which is kind of saddening, is the fact that Raúl Jiménez, once he's come back from his head injury, is just not the same effective player he once was in terms of his willingness especially considering before his injury he was so effective in the air um, and he was a little bit more proactive in the games and now it just seems like it's definitely had an impact on his his state of play I don't know I I think I read a report of something like his headgear that he currently wears now has been slightly too heavy and it needs to be reduced and it's affected his balance or something of that kind but I don't know I feel like when players have such a traumatic injury their kind of just unconscious uh, desire to not get involved in the more physical aspects of play is probably affecting things massively. It was kind of like when Luke Shaw came back and it seemed like it was a little bit of wincing to go into one-on-ones or to do what he used to do, which was those dynamic runs straight to the box. It seems like the play changes. Mm. Um, Petr Cech as well, when he had his head injury, he was never quite the same player when he came back. Yeah, exactly Yeah, exactly that. Agreed. It was, to be fair though, he did get to some kind of level when he uh, got back to the Champions League final. He did win everything again after it, but it's, I think it's different for an outfield player as well, especially one which relies on his head because before that, I think he got 20 Premier League goals in the season and he was probably on course to play for one of the top European sides and it just seems like now he's just a complete shadow of, of himself and I think they probably need to maybe prepare to uh, get another striker in because his just output is just not the same as it used to be. Uh, but, I mean, that Wolves side, I think they're massive um, I think they're very vulnerable in the summer especially with Ruben Neves I think a number of clubs are going to be circling around him and Pedro Neto as well so it's going to be a big summer for them as well I think uh, but it's been a really good season for them it's just the last few stages just seems to have stagnated a little bit I think there still could be a lot of interest in Jimenez not just because he showed his class before his injury and you're right he was on the cusp of a big move but also as a and unfortunately, we have to consider these things in football nowadays as a commercial asset. As someone who is appealing to the South American market and audience, he's got huge value in that kind of stake. So don't rule out a big move for Jimenez yet. One final bit on this, Dan, on Manchester City. And I mean, it's very easy just to focus on the positives after a big win like that. But we love a few negatives. And one of the negatives last night would probably be 
Raheem Sterling's performance. He's been criticised quite heavily from City fans about not taking the chances with which he's presented. And he missed a hatful last night. He could have had three or four potentially, mostly from assists from De Bruyne, but I think Phil Foden put one on the plate for him as well. Do you think Sterling is one of those players in that City squad as they look to regenerate and Haaland comes in that might be sweating over his long-term future at the club? Uh, yeah, maybe. In the, I think Sterling, he reminds me a little bit of the Kaku, which sounds like a bizarre thing to say because they're not remotely similar. <laughs> but they're players, when you look at how many goals they've scored and you think, I can't believe that someone who's such a poor finisher has scored so many goals. That he's not... He is obviously a really good player, Raheem Sterling, but I could, he's someone that I would definitely look at and think if I was managing City, which for the avoidance of doubt I'm not, I would think that I could probably find a better player in that position. And I also, he's someone who I would wonder if he left City, who would be, would be anywhere near as good because I think that he fits very well in the way Pep Guardiola wants to play football, in the way that, say, uh, Pedro did. But he's not someone who I think could go into a less good team and elevate it. I don't, I don't quite see that in Sterling, even though I think, even though I think he's a really good player. Um, and he sort of bought himself some credit because he played, he played well for England in the summer. But I also felt that if you look at this, like you look at any of the players that play well for England in the summer, who was the best player they played against? Who was the best team they played against? I mean, it's not it's not a particularly high level of football. It's not a particularly good way of evaluating how good someone is or the kind of form they're in. So I think that when you're trying to regenerate a team, and I mean, Fergie, who was the master at that, would always be looking to sign at least one or two players every summer to keep people on their toes. And that obviously meant that there might be people who leave. Sterling, I would say, definitely is someone who's under threat because if you look at their front three, their first choice front three next season is going to be Haaland and Foden and one more. And um, Mares gives them something slightly different and has had a much better season than Sterling had. And then that means, obviously, Bernardo Silva can play there as well. And that, I get that puts Sterling under a little bit of pressure, or at least it means that if everyone's fit, he's not probably going to play in the big games again, and he might not want that. He, sometimes you can. I mean, if you look at um, you look at Javier Hernandez, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when they were at United, they knew that they probably wouldn't start the big games, but they knew that their role as a sub and starting the other games was important, and that they'd get enough games over the course of the season, and you're able to sustain that to keep those players if you're winning, and City are winning. So he, I guess he needs to make a make a call at this point in his career does he want to stay city play less and win or does he want to go somewhere else and play all the time and perhaps not win mm. right let's move on to leeds united nil chelsea three leeds united breaking records last night becoming the first team in premier league history to get 100 yellow cards over the course of a single season well done leeds but it won't be the yellow cards they're talking about it'll be the red card for dan james sent off in the 24th minute for a challenge on kovacic any complaints there at all, Joel? Can he be moaning his luck at getting sent off last night? No, not at all. It was just so over-eager. And when you keep watching the challenge back, I'm surprised he didn't snap his ankle at one point because it looked to be going that way. Um, but clearly, Leeds have a big discipline issue. I don't know where it stems from. But like you mentioned, that, that amount of yellow cards is just absolutely ridiculous considering... Um, the fact that it's probably hampered the season with most key players having to serve suspensions and miss vital games and it's not even just that to be honest it's just the fact that they've conceded so many when you look at the amount they conceded in comparison to Burnley and Everton who are their closest competitors at the moment they've conceded nearly 40 like 40 percent more 77 goals they've shipped this season and Burnley have only done 49, Everton 56 it's, so it's a massive issue for them uh, this year and it's strange because last year they managed to at least counter it by being really really good going forward but obviously they've had so many um, injuries at, at the top especially with Bamford who was their main goal scorer last year uh, that it's just all come down to this moment really of all the lack of di discipline issues and defensive issues and attacking issues as well. Rafinha seems to have dried up and he, I don't know if he has two eyes on a, a move potentially to Barcelona in the summer. So he's not looking good for Leeds at the moment. Um, I would say unfortunately, but it's not unfortunate, uh, but it's, 
I mean, they've got to play Brighton next, and Brighton are playing absolutely ridiculous football lately. And then they've got to go away to Brentford, who, again, is not an easy game, regardless of if you've got something to play for or not. So right now, at the moment, they're looking like the most likely team to actually go down, just because I don't see anything in their attack which suggests that they can actually pull something out of the back in comparison to Burnley, who seem to be kind of chugging away with results in Everton, which... At the moment, you know, they've got two wins in the last three. They'll have a little bit of momentum, whereas Leeds just look a little bit down and out and a little bit toothless, especially up front. So it's going to be really difficult. And if there was ever a team that you could get points against yesterday, it was Chelsea because they're really vulnerable at the moment. Um, but today, uh, yesterday, sorry, they just got absolutely turned over. And like you say, that, that moment of the red card happened again against Arsenal and it just changes the game. I think those cards were just a sign of not being good enough because yellow cards and red cards to a certain extent tend to happen when players are caught out of position or they're not coached properly or they're not fit enough and you can't level them not being fit enough at Leeds so it's just it's kind of when you're playing catch up that you're forced into these silly challenges that lead to these yellow cards I think that's where that's come from for Leeds as you said they've conceded a lot of goals this season 35 36 and 37th goal of the season at home in the game last night versus Chelsea. That looks like it could be their undoing. Is that it for them now, Dan, do you think? Because they look not cut adrift in that bottom three, but certainly they're now sitting below Burnley and Everton. If we were going to look at it on balance between Burnley, Everton and Leeds, are Leeds the team that probably deserve to go down out of those trio? Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say deserve. Like Whoever goes down deserves to go down. So I wouldn't say, I mean, at this point, You'd say it was Leeds if the season finished now because they got the fewest points. But whoever deserves to go down is the team that will go down because we have a metric for determining that precise thing and that's the league table. So I don't, I would never, <laughs> and in the same way, like I would never, when you hear managers say, we deserve to win that game, it's just like, no mate, you didn't. You might have played the better football in the game or created more chances, but we've devised a metric to measure deservation and it is known as the score. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. Um, Leeds, I mean, Leeds do look done for, though. Leeds do look absolutely done for because, um, as Joel said, like they've been without Bamford. Uh, Calvin Phillips has missed a lot of this season as well. And they're not good enough to be able to get by that because they don't have a big enough squad to get away with that. But, I mean, I saw a friend of mine, Rob Bagchi, who is a big Leeds fan, um, saying that what March has managed to do is he's managed to marginalise their two best players, Rafinha and Phillips, so that he's now getting the minimum out of them. And that's one of the reasons they're playing so badly. Is that a mistake? I haven't it? seen enough of Leeds to see, uh, to be sh- under March, to be sure. But also the aggression has gone up under him as well. So he might... I, I'm not going to judge him now because he's turned up into a relegation battle. But there are little changes that have come under him that Bielsa wasn't, weren't the case under Bielsa. And they haven't worked just yet. Do you think Leeds fans will be regretting that decision to get rid of Bielsa now, particularly as they face a season in the Championship? Because you, if you were going to pick between Jesse Marsh and Marcelo Bielsa to bring you up from the Championship back to the Premier League, which looks look, look looks like it's going to be the job next season, you'd probably rather have Bielsa in that position because he's done it before. And as you say, he was getting more out of that Leeds team, I think, than maybe Jesse Marsh has gone, gone in and got. Maybe, maybe. I mean, you can't be sure because it was Bielsa that got them into this mess. So so you can't say that it's not Bielsa's fault. But And then to come in mid-season and to elevate a team that is without Calvin Phillips and without Patrick Bamford... Is, is hard to do. I mean, they won a few weeks ago, Leeds. I can't remember who they beat, and it did look like they were safe. But I wouldn't have said necessarily that Bielsa would be the guy to bring them up just because he got them up last time. Because I think sometimes you feel with Bielsa, he's one of those managers that perhaps has a shelf life. He has these ideas, he imparts them, he, has, he does really well in the beginning, and then it sort of tails off. And it's possibly the case that that was what happened. Like, he'd done all he could for those players. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the case that they should have kept Bielsa to keep them up or to get them up but they may have made a mistake with Jesse March but I guess that remains to be seen. Talking briefly about Chelsea Joel it looks like Champions League football is secure after that result Um, 
But Romelu Lukaku, his future is probably not quite secure yet. He scored again, 83rd minute goal, wrapped up the victory, got the 3-0 after the game was arguably run one already. He's scored a couple of goals in recent weeks. Is there any signs that his performance might mean he has a future at Chelsea going forward? Or is he still not really offering enough to warrant the price tag that Chelsea paid for him earlier in the summer? I'm not sure if his performances are trying to prove to Chelsea that he's the man for them or to try and prove to Inter Milan to justify spending a good 70 million to bring him <laughs> back. I'm trying to, I'm still undecided on that point. Um, but it's it's been quite, it's been strange. It's been a strange season for him because he's gone from Inter Milan where he was the focal point in a, in a team under Antonio Conte where he was just an icon in the city of Milan and he was really loved in Italy. And then he's come over to Chelsea and the system doesn't seem to be based too much around him anymore. Uh, he's in a very different system as well where he used to be in a, a three at the back but with uh, another striker next to him which was Latoro Martinez at Inter and now he's kind of the sole striker and a little bit isolated up there. But in the last two games he's been pretty clinical to be honest. He's, I think he's been affecting games a little bit more in terms of the build-up play. Um, but it's just... I, sh- I struggle to see him going, staying at Chelsea beyond this season. Regardless of what's going on off the pitch with the consortium takeover, nobody knows what's going to happen with that at the moment. But I just feel as though after that interview with the Italian media, I just think him and Tuchel don't see eye to eye in terms of where he best plays and how effective he is in that side. Um, it just seems as though... He's not because he's not the focal point in what Tuchel sees the team. He sees more the players around him, and he's just the guy who should be finishing off the goals. I don't know if that's the position that Lukaku wants to actually take up in that side. And if we've seen him in the past, he's he was never going to be the person who fires you to a, a title, especially in the Premier League. Of course, the Italian league he did, but I think that's a very different game altogether. Um, and I, I don't know what they were kind of expecting from him, but in the last few games, he has started to show and influence games more, which is what he's always done. But it's always been a question over him, of him affecting the bigger games, and he's never done it. He, he re- Very rarely, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times he's had a hand in the big games, which are the ones that decide titles. And this is, I think this is the issue for Chelsea. You've got Timo Werner, who they paid £55 million for, and he's not showing his kind of form that he did under uh, at Leipzig in Germany. And then again, Kai Havertz, they spent a massive amount on him and he's still slowly adapting to the game even now. So there's still a lot of uncertainty up front and I still think he doesn't suit the Chelsea style of play and what they're looking for. I do think they need, they need a different kind of striker. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer. But I mean, right now, I don't even know what the hell is happening with Chelsea Football Club. So we'll see what happens in the next few months. But I can see a move on the cards if things continue the way they do. Well, as we said, that silver lining for Chelsea is that Champions League football next season looks to be secure. There is one more place up for grabs. It's going to be decided potentially in the North London derby. We're going to look ahead to Tottenham versus Arsenal tonight's game shortly. Also look back at Watford against Everton and Leicester versus Norwich City from last night. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Joel Tudor and Daniel Harris from the United Rewind on today's podcast. Leicester City 3, Norwich 0 is the next game we're going to discuss. I've not seen a great deal from Norwich over the last few weeks since relegation was confirmed to suggest they're going to come back up from the Championship next season. And I guess, Dan, the one of the issues they have is you look at the Norwich team, you look at the team that went out last night against Leicester City and got battered 3-0. You look at the individuals in that team and it's really difficult to see anyone within it that Premier League teams are potentially going to come in for and pick off, which I guess is good in terms of keeping a squad together and keeping the core of that Norwich team together to potentially mount a challenge back to the Premier League. But at the same time, it kind of hints at the issue that Norwich have had this season and had last night. There's a real lack of quality in that team. Uh, yeah, it's a big problem being crap. I guess, <laughs> which is uh, where, Nor- when, which is where, where Norwich are. Um, I mean, the thing is, is the reason you get these teams coming up and down is partly because of the parachute payments. So it means that they've got enough money to outspend the teams that are competing for promotion and championship because they're getting paid after relegation, but they don't have enough money to compete in the Premier League. This is why Norwich, West Brom, Palace... Um, there are others. I forget. There is um, just keep get Fulham. Fulham, Bournemouth. Just keep get, just we'll go backwards and forwards. Um, I think that I reckon Dean Smith will probably keep his job, um, and I think that's fair enough. They may as well. Like he's not. I think he did a good job at Villa, so they should probably see what he can do. Um, but yeah, ultimately, ultimately they're rubbish, and that's why they're going down. I mean, Dan mentions Dean Smith there, Joel. Has he done an okay job since coming in? He replaced Daniel Farker, who was much loved with the Norwich City fans. He's come in, he's not saved the club, but I guess at the same time it was a little bit of a hopeless task. So has he done enough to convince Norwich fans that he will be the man to bring them back up next season? Uh, well, I mean, he's not doing a very good job, has he? The 20th in the Premier League. Um, it's going to be... Seven goals shipped it... in the last two games. <laughs> I, know, it's a, I mean, it was a difficult task. Their squad is just so below par. Like Dan mentioned... They have enough money to be the absolute standout team in the championship. And then as soon as they come to the Premier League, it just seems like a massive cliff drop in terms of quality. And I think when you look at all of the teams who come up and sustain themselves, they either have a very certain style of play with one or two very, very good players, as in the key players. If you look at Brentford, you know, Ivan Tony, he's consistently got there. Now Christian Eriksen, which has kind of elevated them a little bit more. With Norwich, you can't really name anyone to be honest um, and I think that's the big problem for them so I think he's Dean Smith's the right guy to stick by just because you know he got Villa back up to the Premier League he's been there and done that I mean I'll be probably more confident with Dean Smith taking my side in the championship compared to someone like Jesse Marsh who has never been in that situation but then again I mean you had Rafa Benitez who did it with Newcastle you had Marcelo Bielsa who did it with Leeds it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have championship experience because there's still elite coaches who have coached at the highest level before. Um, so I don't think that should be too much of an issue considering they'll have a lot of money as well on their hands um, when they inevitably get wiped out and handpicked by uh, the bigger sides. I don't know if Norwich even have those players who are going to get handpicked, to be honest. But I think Dean Smith, I think they're in, in good hands with him, to be honest. And maybe that was a signal of preparing for the future when they actually hired him rather than you know going for one of those stopgate stopgap managers who tries to influence them and get a last few victories in the last games of the season maybe it was a case of preparing for the future because Norwich just are such a yo-yo club and I just don't know how they counteract that unless they change the recruitment or they end up getting lucky with a sign in which ends up becoming a real talisman in the side. It was a double for Jamie Vardy last night, a goal for James Madison as well against his old club. But Jamie Vardy, he's had one of them seasons, Dan, where he's been in and out. He's had so many injuries that's kind of kept him from finding any kind of form or keeping him any kind of run in the team. He's 35 now, Jamie Vardy, still banging in the goals. But realistically, how long can he keep doing it for Leicester? now surely he's reaching the end of his career at that very top level um i mean he's struggling to stay fit i guess so it's difficult and um i mean he has been he has been a brilliant player um and i mean i think i mean this week he probably might have been slightly distracted also like the rest of us in um wondering what we what else we'd need to know about peter andre for example (laughs) but um he you could be forgiven for your mind not being fully on the game 
Um, but um, he's he's been he's been a brilliant player, Jamie Vardy, and he the problem is not that he's not good anymore. I don't think it's not even really that he's lost his pace. It's just that he's struggling to stay fit. And Patson Dacker was brought to replace him, and Patson Dacker to me looks like a looks like looks a player. So I think that. If he, it depends with a lot of players when they get to that age. We're talking about Raheem Sterling just earlier. What are they prepared to accept? Are they prepared to accept playing sometimes? And if they are prepared to accept playing sometimes, then they'll probably stay where they are. Or do they need? Do they feel that they need to be getting picked every week that they're fit? In which case, he might need to leave Leicester. Let's talk about the glamour tie from last night. Watford nil, Everton nil. The game that Dan wisely chose to watch out of last night's pick of the action. The only goalless draw out of all the fixtures. The big news is the new boss at Watford being announced just before the game. We'll get onto that shortly. But let's talk first about the match itself, Dan. I can't work out whether it was a good result or not for Everton, a nil-nil draw with Watford. On one hand, it's Watford. You'd expect to win. But on the other hand, a point. You'd think Everton will be pretty pleased with that at this stage in the season. Yeah, it's, I mean, Watford are still, like, I grew up in North London, so the idea that Watford have a Premier League football team, even though they've had a top division football team for large <laughs> chunks of my life, is just totally baffling. My first away game, first United away game I went to was at Watford. Ewan Roberts' debut came off the bench and scored the winning goal for Watford. Wow. That is, United were dreadful. It's like, right at the start of Fergie, I think it was 86, 87. Um, but... So the fact that Watford are even in the Premier League is is ridiculous, but um, it was it was an absolutely dreadful game. It really was. I mean, there was a point where on my feed the commentators again they were talking about I can't even remember who they were talking about, but they were saying why are we talking about this when it happened thirty years ago? Oh yeah, we're talking about it because there's absolutely nothing worth talking about that's going on on that pitch. It was really weird the way Everton approached that game in that. They're basically, if they stay up, one of the big reasons they stay up will be because they had a difficult run of games and Lampard decided to go five at the back, try and be solid and nick a goal and it worked. I wonder if he'd stick to that last night because they're playing a team who are already down. They've got most of the points they're going to need and a win would have basically almost put them out of sight because they need four points from now to stay up. And if they'd have got an extra two last night, they'd be very close because that would... They only need four if Leeds win every if Leeds win both their games and that isn't going to happen. So it's not. I understood why he kept the five four one, but the lack of intensity was ridiculous, and I felt like he was a bit slow Lampard to bring on Dominic because he's in the five four one. Obviously, he's only playing one striker, and I think he's made the right decision in playing Richarlison because I think he's a much better player than Dominic Calvert Lewin. But I felt like he could have got Calvert Lewin on a bit earlier. Because Watford played, it wasn't even Watford's first team. They made, I think they made seven changes from the team that lost to Palace at the weekend. It was kids. And they still lacked the kind of intensity that we saw them play with against United, against Liverpool, that are the reason that they're, stay, they're likely to stay up. So it wasn't, and also for Lampard, you might be thinking that, he might be thinking that this 5 for one is not sustainable. He's not going to play like that next season. So maybe he should be trying to find a method that is going to work. But he went with the thing that has worked well for him, understandably. But the players definitely let him down. They were just so limp and weak and lacking devil and creativity. And it was it was just one of those games where you watch five minutes of it and you're like, yeah, this is going to be nil-nil. Right. Sounds like that's the problem that Everton have pretty much had this season. They've shown a little bit of fight late on, Joel, but really the performances across the season have been poor. They've been poor since Lampard have come in, and yet still Frank Lampard seems to enjoy this good relationship with the Everton fans. At the end of the game last night, he went over, he was applauding the away fans that had travelled down to Watford. Are you surprised that he's managed to maintain that backing from the Everton fan base in the face of this potential relegation? Well, I think it was either him or Rafa Benitez, so I'm sure they enjoyed Lampard more than Benitez because they didn't have the greatest relationship with him. Um, but I think Lampard's smart. He knows that he needs the Everton fans on side because I think the minute it starts to get, and as, as it did under Rafa Benitez in his last days there, it did get very, very tough in terms of the hostility and 
the togetherness was very very just completely cut in half so i think it's, it's essential to get your fans on side and from what i heard they had everton fans buying tickets in the home end for the watford game which kind of shows that you know they'll always be on side regardless of if they go to the championship or the premier league they've got a very very loyal and strong fan base and i think it's essential for a team that's facing relegation but he, the the this this is the decisions Lampard made even when he came in in terms of the transfers in terms of Deli Ali and Van der Beek were just completely baffling to me because they needed to sort out the defense and yet Lampard was trying to do this experimentation trying to resurrect two players' careers and I just don't think that was right in the case of a relegation battle and it showed because Donny van der Beek's barely even played I don't even remember seeing him too much and Deli Ali's been just sat on the bench majority of the time and. For for me, Deli Ali's a complete lost cause in terms of his career now. Um, I don't think he'll ever get back to those levels that he did under Pochettino. And I think that was just a, a strange decision from Lampard. He should have been going for players who knew at that moment that they could come in and put a performance in. And that right now, those two players cannot. Um, so it's going to be very interesting going into the final few games. As Dan said, four points. It doesn't sound like a lot in three games, but for Everton, that usually takes them a good five games to achieve that. So it's going to be really tough going into the final few games. But I think everything rides on Leeds, to be honest, doesn't it? And if if they end up losing their next game against Brighton or not taking any... Basically, if they don't take three points in the next game, I think it's over. Let's finish off this review of last night's games by talking about Watford who love a new manager announcement don't they Watford they can't get enough of it I think this is their 100th manager in the last two months and they've just announced that Forest Green's Rob Edwards will be their next head coach from the beginning of next season he's just won the League 2 title with Forest Green they're not happy about him departing they say negotiations happen behind behind Watford uh, behind Forest Green sorry he's back in terms of getting him on board were you shocked by that appointment, Dan? I mean, I don't think Rob Edwards is a name that many people would even even considered as an option for Watford's next manager. No, that's true. But then I hadn't heard, I haven't heard of half the managers that Watford get before they get them. So and I don't I, I don't think that whether I've heard of someone, I'd like it to be the case, but I don't think that the test for whether anyone's any good is whether I've heard of them or not. So there is there is that, and he does appear to have done a good job at Forest Green. I actually think this is quite an interesting appointment in that someone's done some research, they've thought about the kind of manager that they want, and they've come up with him. And so, it's, I mean, and, and there's some beef attached to it as well, which is also always nice. I mean, I felt like I can understand why Forrest Green were crying about what went on, but it's football, and that is what happens. Approaches are made when they're not meant to be made. If the chairman of Forest Green is genuinely saying that he would never do that kind of thing and has never done that kind of thing, fair enough. But I don't think there are many people in that position in football who can say that. No, Dale Vince, never shy of publicity either. He likes appearing on various radio and TV shows to talk about what's going on at his club, whether it's good or bad. But well, it remains to be seen whether Rob Edwards, who's only 39, a real up-and-coming talent in the world of football management, can make an impact at Watford next season. Right, we're going to talk about the North London derby next. Tottenham versus Arsenal tonight and a potential game that could decide who gets that final Champions League spot. We'll finish off Football Social Daily talking about that next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Final bit of today's podcast is about Tottenham versus Arsenal, a North London derby taking place tonight. I said a minute ago, Joel, it could be the game that decides who gets that final Champions League spot. I guess it comes down to if Arsenal win, they get that final Champions League spot. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I was watching Match of the Day last night and Martin Keown said this could be the biggest ever Premier League game and you should have saw my face when he said that. It was kind of like, (laughs) what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, Yeah, it's a big game, of course, but... I don't think this. I don't. I don't think it's the magnitude that everyone thinks it is because, of course, if Tottenham win, they're still one point behind Arsenal, and um, Arsenal still need to drop points in the final two games, which are against um, Newcastle away and uh, Everton at home, which again are not too easy games. But I think it's. It, at least the good thing about this North London derby is that there's more than just rivalry riding on it. At least it's got a little bit of a sting to it, whereas before it had always been, you know, just basically bragging rights for the the North of London, whereas now there's pretty much a lot riding on it in terms of the Champions League football. But I don't see Arsenal getting a result at Tottenham. Um, I just feel as though after watching Tottenham against Liverpool at Anfield, if there's ever a manager I would want in my end of the table in terms of getting a result when it matters, it's Antonio Conte every single time, especially against uh, Mikel Arteta. So I do think, especially in the run of form that Tottenham are in at the moment where everything in the forward line seems to be clicking. Like even You've even got um, Hyung-Min Son, who's got 20 Premier League goals, and that's gone completely under the radar. Um, I just feel as though they're better equipped and I feel as though I feel as though they've been better than Arsenal this season. I'm quite surprised that Arsenal find themselves in that position. But I mean, when you look at the teams below them, they've been so inconsistent that it was almost impossible to get to that position. Um, so it's going to be a really good match, I think. Um, but as we've seen, as we've seen in previous seasons, I don't think it's ever going to be over when they're that close until the final day. But I just hope that Tottenham win it so that it gives a little bit of. Um, spice when it gets to the final two games. Those 20 goals from Son, by the way, he's the first Tottenham player to score over 20 goals in a single season, not including penalties, since Gareth Bale did when he was at the club the first time around, which is an incredible statistic. How does Conte approach this one, Dan? Because we saw them get the draw with Liverpool last time out. It was a real back-to-the-walls job. We know Jurgen Klopp wasn't happy with the way Spurs played. Are we going to see the same again against Arsenal or do you think we'll see something a little bit more expansive? It's a little bit different I think because Liverpool are a much better team than Arsenal obviously and Spurs have got to win this game. So I think that what Conte will do is I think he'll probably be circumspect because he'll be trying not to lose the game in the first 20 minutes and Arsenal do have some quick players who are capable of starting a game quickly. But what Spurs have, obviously, is they have Kane and Son, who are excellent players, and Arsenal's defence is not that good. So I think that if it's nil-nil after an hour, Conte will be will be cool with that. But So I think that he will be quite circumspect in the beginning, but and then hope that, he, that over the stretch of 90 minutes, the class of his attackers will tell. Um but as but Spurs, the Spurs do have to win, and if they draw, then it's more it's more or less over. Even if they win, they still need a favour from somebody else. But Arsenal will be starting to wonder, I think, because they'll probably feel they should have had this sewn up quite a while ago now, and they haven't. Um, and also, it's sort of become a much it's a it, it's a much bigger thing for Arsenal, I think, than for Tottenham. In that it's been a while since Arsenal have been in the Champions League, and. Their sort of their whole season has become about that Champions League, whereas because Spurs had to fire a manager halfway through the season, it's more about writing themselves and getting into the Champions League would be seen almost as a bonus. Whereas for Arsenal, it's been that thing that they've been working towards all season, so they're probably feeling the pressure a little bit more because they're also they have the position to defend, whereas Tottenham are chasing the position. That Arsenal defence that you mentioned, Dan, as well, potentially weakened by Ben White. Late fitness test for him to see whether he's available tonight. Saka also facing a fitness test as well. If Arsenal do win this one, Joel, though, it'll be their highest Premier League finish they will secure since 2016, when they also finished fourth. There's also a load of young very promising players in that Arsenal team at the moment that are putting in performances. Saka, we mentioned as well. Smith Rowe. He's been in and out a bit this season. Martinelli looks good. We've got Ben White at the back. We've got Ramsdale in goal. So there's some good young talent in that Arsenal team. Arsenal fans are going to go into next season feeling 
relatively positive, aren't they? Are Arsenal now getting to that stage where Arteta's done a job to get them back to the place where a lot of Arsenal fans feel they should have been for the last 10 years? Potentially, but I just feel as though it's been elevated because the teams below them have been very, very below par, like on another scale below par. Even Manchester United, on another season, if they were fully firing, I mean, it would be even more difficult for them to be able to retain that top four spot. But I think this this finish in the Champions League, it means more than just being in the Champions League. It affects the recruitment as well. Because in the last few seasons, they've had, like as we saw last summer, they've had to kind of go a little bit more unknown in terms of their signings and questionable signings at the start where people thought, I mean, are we paying 30 million for Ramsdale? Could we, the money have been better spent elsewhere? And now they're in probably a massive need for a striker after Aubameyang's left. Lacazette will probably, probably be leaving. Um, and getting top four is probably, probably the difference between attracting the likes of, I don't know, Dybala or Darwin Nunes or getting Ivan Tony, so it's going to be a very interesting one I think That's it for today's Football Social Daily that game is tonight the final game of the midweek action is Tottenham versus Arsenal a London derby that feels like there's a little bit of a bite to it which is unusual for that game in recent history you can get the full review of that game on tomorrow's podcast as soon as it's out make sure you've clicked subscribe or follow so you can get that you can catch Dan on the United Rewind Elevator pitches, Dan. Tell us why we should listen to that podcast on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Um, United Rewind is a pod where it takes an old United game. It might be a good game, might be a bad game. It might be a game that you don't remember. It might be a game that you do remember. And what we do is we look at the game and look at what the game meant. And, I mean, do what you always do when you watch football. Take the out of the players. Tell stories about what happened to us at the game or watching the game or whatever it is. And try and set it in its context of what was going on in the world at the time. What were we watching? What were we listening to? And yeah, it's just uh, it's a nice it's a nice chat. Make sure you check it out. If you're a United fan, it's definitely one for you. If you're not a United fan, do you know what? I spent most of my childhood being tortured by the successes of Manchester United, and it's quite nice actually to be taken back to a few of those golden moments in kind of the nineties. Not just in terms of the matches that were happening, but also in terms of like what was happening at the time around then as well. So you never know. If you're not a Red, you might enjoy it as well. Go find it on the Sports Social. Oh, I was going to say. So give me do one more pitch then. Go on. on this day in nineteen seventy nine. United lost the cup final to Arsenal um, that when they were United were two goals down with five minutes left they equalised and then somehow managed to concede again before the end and um, I interviewed Debbie Horsfield the writer who wrote uh, Cutting It The Riff Raff Element and various other things on TV that you may or may not have seen and she she wrote she made her career following that game the play that made her famous she wrote about that game that she was at and she wrote kind of from being in the crowd at that game. The play itself is great as well, but the interview I had, I did with Debbie Horsfield is one of my favourites on that pod, where we just kind of talked about the game, but also talked about football and belonging and writing and doing the thing that you love. And uh, that was on this day in 1979, the game itself. So uh, feel free to check that one out. There we go. Go and have a look. Go and search for it on the Sports Social Podcast Network or wherever it is you find your podcast. Dan, Joel, cheers guys. And we'll see you for another Football Social Daily tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.